0: You may be seated thank you Wesley I tell you it's uh, when you have a time like we've had already this morning it's hard to follow all that with some words uh, just watching those precious children come to know Lord as their Lord and Savior and then come publicly profess that uh, a young mother a grandmother and that's what it's all about and that's something we should never get tired of seeing is seeing lives publicly professing their faith in Jesus Christ, and that's where we are today, and we thank the Lord for it. I also think it's pretty cool that we get to see some of you who haven't been here for a while. Uh, Many of you are coming back, and we're so glad to see you. Some of you we haven't seen in a while, and maybe you feel safer to come back, and we do thank you for being here with us this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, if you'll go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1, today we continue the series, Promise Kept. Last week, we looked at the assurance of salvation. And from that, we came across the verse, 1 John chapter 5, where it says, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, here it is, that you may know that you have eternal life. Last week, uh, if we took anything away from last week, it was the fact that when we left here last Sunday, we could come to the terms to know that we have eternal life. But it didn't in there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, which is a phrase we're going to be looking at this morning, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, the thing that we need to understand is that the assurance of salvation is found in the transition from old to new. And it involves attitudes, reactions, actions, behaviors, perspectives, and even a new affection, an affection that we have in Christ. Today, now that we understand that we can have that assurance, today, once we've had the promise of that, today we're going to be looking at what this new reality or this new identity looks like. And so therefore, as Jonathan's already said, we're going to be taking communion at the end of this gathering this morning, and basically what I thought we should do is basically look at the cross, because that's what we're going to be reflecting on, the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but primarily the cross, and what Jesus did there on the cross, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to show you a picture of everything that the cross promises, that everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross That we can now live in based on the guarantee of his resurrection, but was provided by the cross So today I want us to look at the promises of salvation and they're clearly laid out in Ephesians chapter 1 But before we do I want you to look at the introduction and before we look at the introduction I want to I want you to see something. I've never done before I've written the whole outline if you have that outline in front of you. I've written it in the first person and the reason I've done that is because I want you to take very personally what God's Word has to say to you this morning concerning the promises of your salvation. And so therefore, I want you to personalize it this morning. So look at the outline. Well, the resurrection of Jesus guarantees my salvation, the cross of Jesus makes my salvation possible and provides me with promised benefits. These promises are founded on On the phrase, in Christ. Now, let me just take a moment there to explain that phrase. The phrase or the preposition in is probably the most essential preposition to theology in the English language. It means Christ. In Christ means in the presence of, surrounded by. And more importantly, it is a place that is definite. A place that is definite. And the Bible says that we are in Christ. Now, I want you to think of it this way. Because we are in Christ, everything that he has, we now can partake of. Everything that salvation brings is something that we as followers of Jesus Christ, those things can not only be a reality in our life, they can identify who we are. The phrase also, when you think of Noah in the ark, it's the whole idea of, of the fact that Jesus is, in the, is the ark. God put Noah in the ark just as real as God places us in Christ. It's the same picture. It's the same way of looking at the, the way it's written. So Noah had the provision and the protection and the promises of God while being in the ark. We have that same provision and protection and promises that are found in Christ. Therefore look on your outline when I begin to understand the promises of what it means to be in christ I begin to know my true identity my privileges and my purpose and it's all found there So what I want to do is take you on a journey of what paul's done in ephesians chapter 1 In which by the way paul was one of those who never got over what jesus did for him He never got over it with the moment that that he came to understand who Christ was. And we understand his his transformation was pretty radical. The moment he began to look to Jesus, he was passionate about it. And there are times in which he wrote, that I think many times we lose sight of it because it's written, is the fact that he would break out and he would begin to list all these things. And he's doing that here in Ephesians chapter one. And then you're gonna see him kind of break out into worship because of even what he's writing. And so, that's what we'll find this morning. So, look on your outline. The the promises provided by the cross include, number one, that he has adopted me. I am in his family. I am family. And so, when you begin to look at Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 3. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and here it is, in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us, here it is, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. What Paul's going to do, he's going to give you bullet point after bullet point, bullet point about the promises of our salvation, about what God provides through Jesus's work on the cross that's now provided for us. The first thing we see there is the idea of being predestined. And it's really chosen to be part of his family. In Romans 8, 29, it says, For whom he, God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Not only that, the Bible says that after we come to know Christ, think of this, we are his child, an adopted member of his family. Let me tell you how radical that is. Before we come to know Christ, the Bible says that we are an enemy of God. That literally, when you read the whole context, before we accept the provision that Jesus paid for us on the cross, that we were an offense to God himself. I want you to think about how radical it is. So what Jesus did on the cross, the provision of salvation, brought us from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God, but not only that, a member of God's family. Now that should blow your mind, but that's really what we're looking at here. Now some of you... Great theologian sitting in the room. You're probably sitting there thinking, now, how's he going to handle the idea of predestination? Well, that's not for this sermon. I don't have time. The worship team didn't give me time. The baptism doesn't give me time. But I'm just going to tell you, if you go back to the sermon series I did some years ago, Royal Invitation, it's entitled The Precedent of Salvation. It's found in Romans 9, 6 through 16. You'll see how we've handled the whole passage of predestination. That's probably one of the greatest questions I have uh, for many of you. So you can go there and you can, read, you can look at it for yourself. Now, second of all, he's not only adopted me and I'm in the family, he's not only predestined me to that, but it's also the idea that it was his good pleasure of his will. It pleased God to do so. Now that should really cause you to take note. I want you to think about that. Now we have the we think about this. We have the opportunity to bring pleasure to God. Philippians 2:13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I guarantee you, I've, I've already kind of been around the room this morning, tried to talk to most of you this morning, and, and, and I've seen that we have some grandparents here who watch their grandchildren be baptized, and extended family and all that, and I'm a grandfather, if you don't know that. If you, if you spent two weeks or more here, you know I'm a grandfather. And it's so cool to to sit there. And I guarantee you, if your faith is as dear to you as it is now to your children or grandchildren, watching your children and grandchildren be baptized, I mean, it it just is that good pleasure that wells up in your heart. And I think that sometimes, maybe not with our children, but definitely with our grandchildren, they bring such great pleasure to us, don't they? Yeah, that's a joke, by the way. My children (laughs) did bring some pleasure. It was more difficult, granted, but... But but it is that idea and and I can't help but think and I didn't really understand it until I became a grandparent how special it was for for just the fact that someone else can bring the good pleasure that's right there in front of you. And we have the potential to do that with the heart of God. That's amazing when you think about it. The promises provided by the cross include that. Number two, he has accepted me and I am established I want you to look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I want us to break that down. Uh, the first thing that we notice here is the glory of his grace. And it's literally the cross. Here's what you need to think about when you think about the cross. The cross is a display of God's grace. So, so when you think of the cross, it displays God's grace. And when we think of love, or, or excuse me, grace, we think of undeserved love and goodness. When we look at this phrase here that Paul uses here, it's where we get the idea that we are trophies of God's grace. Think about it. Trophies of what was produced by way of the cross. We are those trophies. Second of all, he made us accepted. That's where he established me or he established you. What does it mean to establish someone, to bring about permanently, free of doubt, to be validated in truth, to make secure in a certain place? And it's the whole idea of us being in Christ. Now, where? Where where are we established? Where's this place? It's kind of like what I just said before. In verse 6, if you look at the end, in the beloved is provided by Christ. Now, think about this. It's the state of being loved by God. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 3, speaking of God's son, it says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Just as pleased as the father was with the son, he's just as pleased with us. You know why I know that? Because we're in Christ And when God sees us, he sees Christ. And when God sees our salvation, guess what? It continues to remind himself of his son. We are placed in that love. Think about that. Next, the promises provided by the cross include that he has redeemed us. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. Look at verse seven. It says, in him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Redemption through his blood. So, so when we have redemption, that means we're freed uh, free the powerless. That's what Jesus did. We were powerless over our sin. There was nothing we could do about our situation. While we were still yet sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. That's the redemptive plan that's pointed out in scripture. I want you to think about this. This is a picture of what was going on in the Old Testament. The day of atonement mentioned in the Old Testament when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to present the sacrifice, the blood of an animal for the forgiveness of their sins. That's exactly a picture of what Christ did on our behalf. How many of you are so thankful that you don't have to leave here this afternoon and go butcher an animal for forgiveness? <laughs> it's not warranted anymore. It's not needed. Christ, because we're in Christ That picture is our reality. Our redemption is only provided through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So when we take communion, we are remembering this work he did on our behalf. I want you to think about those who are gathered around the throne of God. We're doing a Bible study on Wednesday evenings uh, uh, in the book of Revelation talking about end-time prophecies. I want you to look at one verse that's found there. Revelation chapter 5. It says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. If for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. There's a new song in heaven because of what Christ did on the cross. And those that sing it are those who have been redeemed. And that one day will include us. Next, the promise provided by the cross that he has redeemed us. I am forgiven. We have that redemption. But second of all, it's through his blood. Look at verse 7 again. It says, in him we have redemption. How? Through his blood. The Bible also says in Revelation chapter one, again, a a place where we get a glimpse of the worship in heaven. Listen to what it says. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over all the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins, how? In his blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Think about that. That's that is is, is, that's what the worship sounds like around the throne of God. It has something to do with us. Paul, when he was preaching in the day of Pentecost, listen to this. In Acts chapter 4, it says this. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under having given among men by which we must be saved. The sacrifice of Jesus is our only hope. That's what it says. And it's very clear when it says it. Next, the redemption. The result of redemption is also the forgiveness of sins. We're released from payment. Look at verse 7 again. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, and as a result, the forgiveness of sins. What if someone came up to you and said, I want to pay all your financial debt, your house, your car, your credit cards, and your student loans? Wouldn't that be pretty cool? How many of you are just sitting there just giddy, just thinking about the fact someone could potentially do that? Oh, yeah. feels good, doesn't it, when you think about that? I remember when um, my wife and I, when we were first starting out, we, we, did, we started out kind of in the hole. How many of you started out life in the hole, you figure? Okay, yeah, yeah we, we, we can identify with that. And we 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 had nothing, and there was I mean we were scrimping pennies at times. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? And and, and 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 we were in debt, and we had every kind of debt imaginable. How many? Of you, we went in debt for our first television. How many of you can relate to that? Okay. Anyway, we we did everything we could, and I remember just sitting there thinking, God, just send someone, deliver us from this evil, deliver us from this. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was just the thoughts of someone just coming in and wiping all that. Clean. Well, about 30 years later, <laughs> God gave us enough initiative to get there. But I'm telling you, back when we were in the throes of debt, it was tough. You were constantly reminded about what you owed. You were constantly reminded about all these things. But I want you to think about this. There's something greater than financial debt. There's sin debt. And the fact that that can be forgiven should bring greater joy to your heart and more ambition towards that than the financial debt being removed. I want you to think about that. How would you feel when that that relief, that great gratitude that you would have for someone that would do that? But think about it. Today, you can be released from the debt of sin. The burden of your shame and your guilt, which just like financial debt, is always before us. The Bible says in Psalms 103, as far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us. Now, that's pretty far as the east from the west. No matter what you've done, it can be forgiven. For many followers of Jesus, those who've been truly saved, listen to this, many that I've counseled with are still under a shame-based identity. They still can't forgive themselves. They still can't even imagine that a God so great would forgive them. And they're paralyzed and disabled and crippled spiritually. And then there are those who have a performance-based identity. And they're exhausted, they're busy, they're spent, and they basically think they can work their way to heaven. Many are struggling. But both of these need to realize that there's something called a Christ-based identity. That's the phrase in Christ our identity is now in him and with that comes forgiven gratitude rest and peace that's what you find there next the result of redemption is riches of his grace he reached out to me look at verse 7 again it says in him we have redemption through the blood through his blood the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace how many of you've often wondered how many of you have ever thought the fact that all riches have a limit you look at some of these billionaires in the world there's still a limit you know some of them what i think there's one now worth a hundred billion dollars they're they're even thinking now who will be the first trillionaire can you even get your mind around that but even the first trillionaire there's a limit right they still can they only have a trillion, only a trillion. <laughs> but when you read this phrase here, I want you to listen to it. Listen to it. According to the riches of his grace, listen to me. There's no limit to that. There's no limit to that. It's not capped at a trillion. It's not capped at a hundred billion. There's no limit. It's, it's, it's un, unlimited grace. That means no matter what we've done, it can be forgiven. God has done some amazing things, but the most amazing thing, I want you to get your mind around this. The most amazing thing that God has ever done, listen, is to reach beyond his holiness to reach into our sin. Y'all, that's the most amazing thing God has ever done. You say, you mean to tell me him speaking the world into his existence that, that what you just said is greater than that? Absolutely. Because when God was speaking things into existence, it was still according to his nature, according to who he was. But you know what he did? He laid himself aside to reach into our problem, to reach into our sin. He reached beyond his holiness. Think of that. That's who he is. That's the epitome of who he is. But he still reached past that into our sin. That is amazing when you think about, it. that he's even capable of doing that. And how did he do it? He did it through his son. God's grace, listen to this, reached out to our sin. The context here means God lavished. He gave beyond limits his grace and love upon us and our sin. The Bible says it this way, Romans chapter 5, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Grace abounded much more. Next, he has enlightened me. I'm given wisdom. Again, what am I trying to do this morning? I'm trying to bring you to the point of communion this morning. When you sit there with that wafer and that juice or whatever, that you're sitting there and you come to terms with what that truly means to you this morning. And that's what Paul's trying to do in Ephesians chapter 1. And so he's not only done all these great things about my sin has been forgiven, I've been redeemed, I'm his child. He moves into a whole different area. Look at what he says in verse eight. He says, which he has made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Now, so what's the first thing? Look on your outline, all wisdom. It's the ability to apply. Now think of this, God has not only forgiven us, He's given us the knowledge to understand his truth. The ability to apply those things to our lives. The ability to apply to to a greater perspective than we ever imagined. How many of you as believers, when you look across the landscape of our world today, and I've said this before, but how many of you are amazed at how smart some people can be that have absolutely no wisdom? Are you just not amazed by that? I mean, intelligent people, people, and to me, you know what a lot of wisdom is? A lot of wisdom is just common sense. And a lot of it's kind of removed from us, but God not only forgave us, he he gave us the ability to live in the context of the fact that we're in Christ, that we can enjoy our salvation, that we can enjoy what he has provided for us i think many of us take that for granted look at this next phrase all prudence is the ability to understand you see we can handle our life from a spiritual perspective seeing your life from a heavenly perspective the ability to understand this new reality and the ability to live out this new reality he's called us to now i don't know about you but i love certain documentaries how many of you like documentaries? I do. I feel like I'm looking at TV and not necessarily dumbing myself down sometimes. You know what I'm saying? And, and some of those, some of those things, especially as it relates to nature, I love nature documentaries. But man, when they get in there and they start talking about all this stuff billions of years ago and trillions of years ago, this happened, this, they don't know that, y'all. They don't know that. I'm sorry. They don't know it. You say, well, well now, come on now. They're doing the geological ages and all that. There's other scientists that can disprove their whole premise of that, too. But let me just say this. There's one thing that I do understand. It is when I hear things that are foreign to what God's Word says, I have enough ability and enough understanding to know what is true and what is not true. That is amazing to me that God gives us that ability. He gives us that ability. Romans eight twenty eight. 28. Even, and how many of you have noticed that a lot of times when you look out there, you can kind of see the messes that are out there. But sometimes, how many of you realize that sometimes you don't see your own mess? But yet, what, here's what he says. Romans eight twenty eight. It's not on the screen, but it says this. And we know that all things work together for good to those what? Who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. We even have insight into what's going on in our lives, even though we're confused. How many of you are confused at times in your own life? Yeah, we're confused. We don't understand why God would allow this, why he chose to do this. And we look at it, and and sometimes we throw our hands up. But the Bible says that we can still trust the one that does that, that allows that into our lives. The promises provided by the cross include that he has enlightened me, I'm given wisdom. Look at verse 9. It says, Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. It all came from him. So what's the first thing we find? We find the, the mystery of his will. Truth, once concealed, is now revealed. Colossians 2. Look here on the screen. To the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let me just tell you this. With our finite minds, we will never understand the full implications of our salvation. It's not possible. That's the reason we get hung up on this predestination stuff and all that. There's still a lot of mystery as it relates to a lot of our salvation. But God gives us the ability to understand the parts that reveal who he is in the process in it. And helps us understand who we are in Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to tell us. We are given the ability to see things non-believers do not see. We see that it is God who is directing the universe. That history is to be seen linear. Not like most people see it. It's linear. It had a beginning. There's a plan that's being worked out. And it's going to have an ending. And that the temporal will eventually give way to the eternal that's what we see and that's what brings us hope and comfort lastly the promises provided by the cross include that he has provided for me is the fact that i have an inheritance that's pretty cool when you think about it the bible is very clear that we as followers of jesus are joint heirs with christ which means everything that christ has we are promised in the next life it also means that there's an inheritance that awaits us who are true followers of jesus An inheritance, that, when we think of something as an inheritance, we think of something that's worth passing down. Monetary or material wealth, a keepsake, a a legacy of faith. But listen to the description of the inheritance we're going to have. Look here at the screen, 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. He's basically saying we have a whole new existence To what? To a living hope, a life beyond this life. How did that come about? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. Nothing can touch this inheritance. It's guaranteed. It's there. And that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for who? For you. Your name's on it. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last days or in the last time. He has provided for me, and I have an inheritance. First of all, there's a plan associated with it. Look at verse 10. It says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Where they, where they come about, how it all come together, it will be found in him, in him. Now, I want you to think about this. You are a part of a grand unfolding plan in the universe. What do you to think about that. You're a part of that. I believe our lives are intended to be like a rock hitting a pond, that our life has a rippling effect. He's given us that ability to influence, to impact, to, to set something in motion that he's asked our life to put in motion. Our purposes, I think it's all part of that, but it's going to come to this point in time, to this point in time, Philippians chapter two, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, those in heaven, and of earth, those under the earth, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every bit of those ripples, every bit of anything that we've ever done in Christ's name, was, was that came from the resources of the phrase in Christ. Every bit of it comes back to Jesus, comes back to Him. And none of us will be standing in heaven receiving any glory for anything we did. It was all made possible fact, just because of the fact we were in Him, not that we were doing our thing. You see, paradise that was once lost in the garden through Adam, here's what we need to understand, will once again be realized. The enemy. Which has already been defeated will be put away no longer able to influence our new coming reality Wars will give way to peace misunderstandings will give way to reconciliation And it's all coming to a head And that's what we know So there's a plan associated with this inheritance second of all. There's a purpose There's a purpose if you were to look at verse 11 There's we obtained an inheritance. It will not fail It is certain it will happen. Secondly, it's predestined. Basically, the idea, is already happened. And that's a whole different thought about even, there's part of the mystery of our salvation. Thirdly, works all things. It not only creates, but it energizes. Think about what God's done. The inheritance that we receive not only creates, there's not only inheritance that's created in Christ, but he gives us the energy to fulfill what God's promised, to fulfill that. The Bible says in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who's begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Everything's going to come to a culmination. Everything will. And the only thing we'll be able to say once it comes to that is the fact that we were in Christ, in Christ, that was provided by way of the cross. There's another thing we find in verse 12. And, and this is interesting. We see the praise for his glory. All of it's for his glory. It's interesting. If you look at the end of verse 12 and then the end of verse 14, he, he, Paul just breaks out in worship. He says, to the praise of his glory. You go to verse 14, to the praise of his glory. It's like he's listing all this stuff and he gets caught up into what he's saying. He's like, oh my goodness, I just got to worship him and that's where we should be when you really think about it of everything that he provides lastly there's a promise associated with our inheritance but how did it come about look at verse 13 in him you also trusted after you he heard the word of the truth the gospel of your salvation to whom also having believed you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise how did it come about verse 13 tells us you trusted you trusted there was a connection made the moment you trusted, placed your faith in God, between me and God. I know that's not the best uh, language there, but just go with it, okay? was anything we could do about it. It was that faith, it's that trust. Verse 13 also tells us we had the word of truth. That's the connection between God and I. And then verse 13 says, having believed, there was the connection that was made. But it wasn't just a connection that was made. There's something that seals it. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The connection is secured. Speaks of authenticity and ownership. Lastly, there is a promise with our inheritance. We see it in verse 13. Excuse me, 14, the guarantee of my connection with him. You see, when you put it all together, the guarantee of our salvation and these promises come by way of the grace of God reaching out to us, the death of Jesus redeeming us and the Holy Spirit sealing us, which is the true meaning of what the phrase in Christ is really all about. And then lastly, and only he can be praised for this. Think about it. The praise of his glory. It's all for his glory. As we come to this point of application this morning, I just want to ask you a simple question. Or I want you to ask yourself this question. What is my response to Jesus' promise of salvation and its benefits and provisions? You see, the cross doesn't just kind of hang out there. The cross doesn't hang out there that the, the, the cross put certain things in motion. Certain things that were, that were back in the Old Testament, but also things that will be fulfilled in the New Testament. And those things are beginning to unfold. And so really, when you think about it, what's our response going to be? I'll ask the band to come forward if they will. We're we ready to bring this thing to closure here. But I want to ask you, what, what is that thing? What is my response to Jesus' promise of salvation and its benefits and provisions? Now I want you to make a connection here this morning. Those who are baptized, they're coming into that phrase, in Christ. Those of us who are about to take communion, we're getting ready to reflect on everything Paul just introduced here. Because every bit of it is connected to the cross and the promise of that. Every bit of it. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, we know that we've looked at a lot of information this morning. It's almost like Paul was just kind of having a worship experience, just, just putting out all those things that our salvation guarantees. The promises are found in our salvation. And Father, I thank you that surely we've seen a promise kept. A promise that was realized on the cross It was guaranteed, as we'll find out next week, through the resurrection. And Father, if there's someone here today that's never taken part of being a follower of who you are, to follow Jesus and the provision and promises are made through Jesus, Lord, I pray you'll draw them to your side, that you'll draw them. And Father, we just thank you for what only you are capable of doing in and through our salvation. In Jesus' name.